the thing that people talk about the trade-off between the nice cushy job and the salary and the like horrendous work environment of a startup where you might be two months away from losing your job. If you're in the right environment, what you learn in being that close to failure, you can extract a much more value from over the course of your career after the fact, even if you end up in a corporate environment after that, which I did was like, where did this guy come from? Why is he doing so much work? Cause it's like, I'm, there's like three of us in the last job and I had two or three people's work to do. And then you get in this environment where people are like, oh, we're going to stay at the Ritz Carlton for five nights to do one presentation. I was like, wow, this is sick. I'm going to do all my work and get to do that as well. Like anything, man, the experience and the quality of your work comes from being uncomfortable as hell. That's, yeah. that's uh, work. Some alpha right here. Uh, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We got a gang back together. What's going on, boys? Trunk fan Jack Butcher, Bilal Zaidi. What good to have you back, Jack? Are you? Do you want to talk about where, where you were, or are we just uh, what's going on? I could do a quick one. So I went to LA for two days to sign 152 prints for a collection that we talked about. I think a couple months ago, the Christie's collection that we did or the the collection that we did that three pieces sold at Christie's so 152 pieces they're all finished on the printer signed them all had a little uh meet and greet there so a few people that were local in LA that bought prints came down and we had a little uh yeah a couple beers caught up no shindig yeah nice little thing got show people the process in the actual printer itself so people came along some people brought their kids very cool to uh yeah meet people i haven't met and and get that done and now uh yeah they're gonna be getting shipped out all over the world Love boys. It, mate. smashing it smashing it all right well good to have you back anyway we got an ama episode this week so if you want to submit questions like this in the future make sure you're in the telegram group link in the description below boys should we just get go, go straight into it anything any other banter for us trung before we get into it mate banter no, no, I know these questions are tight. Uh, yeah, that's less. Well, right. I, I will say one thing. A little bit different bevy today. A there we go. There we go. I don't like a <laughs> what, what the hell is that? I don't. Yeah, it's Topo jazz. Chico. Got it. what, 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 what is it? What is that? Lemonade? Topo Chico Twist of Lime, boys. It's a little oh, carbonated water. There we this go. Is Topo the Chico size, shit. by the way. That, so I like Topo at, Chico too. We're looking I'm at 500, <laughs> 500 milliliter as yeah, opposed to. Yeah. What's the calorie situation there? Zero, brother. Like, Zero, Oh, mate. yeah, okay. I know Jack's, Jack's yeah, a yeah. thick cat. He's keeping it clean. <laughs> He's not as fit as when he was calculating every single calorie, and uh, that's probably good for yeah, uh, the relationship at doing home. Doing that meal prep, <laughs> counting yeah. broccoli in, uh, in that meal prep that, life. Boys. We're past that, boys. We're past crazy how shredded you can get when you count. Every, I mean, your life Insane. is awful. Your it's life so is awful. crazy how fast it, you can get results that way, though. Yeah, yeah. Enough, all right, man. boys, let's get into it. And Warren asked us a big existential question for us. We don't, just for, for background, we don't really do catch-ups apart from the pod. Like, we don't have team meetings to chat about, oh, where do we see the pod going? This is our team meeting, if you want to call it that, and the WhatsApp chat. So the question is, what is the ultimate purpose of NIA? I'll throw it over to you guys before I share mine. Jack, that's you, man. I want I want to hear from I think, Jack. I think you coined it, didn't you, on the first episode of episode zero? Ship posting verbally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Verbal <laughs> ship posting, exactly. Yeah, I think that's what you said. 
I don't know. I don't think the direction of it has changed that much. I think the, uh, yeah, we've, we've kind of just responded to what's been going on in the world. What's been interesting to us for me, it's been a cool, uh, like shift in focus a lot of the time, like this midweek or, you know, a couple of days into the week switches up the brain function a little bit, talk about things that I might otherwise not be talking about, get it on record, have a good time with the lads. That's there it for go. me, really. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. What about you, Trunk? Anything else to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, I think our boy WW is asking, is like, is there some like bigger picture? There's like, it just it never really has been. And I mean, there was a moment. Don't get us wrong. We've had chats over the past two years. Mm-hmm. So it's been a bit over two years where we're like, how serious should we take this? And I, I think, um, tell me if I'm incorrect, but from the way I see it, it's kind of this. Not negative tension, but there's enough tension in that, like, when you start formalizing things, it kind of changes, totally changes the mm-hmm. kind of the cadence of it. It's like, listen, Jack's been quite busy this summer doing various shows. It's like, if this was, if we had advertisers and we had to deliver the three of us, like, hey, you know, advertiser A is like, we really love what Jack has to say. It's like, if he's missing half of these episodes over this period, it's like, you know, that's going to create tension. So there's like, Whereas this is just so informal and we hop in and out. As everybody knows, Bilal is the, is the rock here. He's been here on every single episode. He's the one. Actually, and held my you know, hold on a multi-continental. Second. I'm not going to, not 100% episodes. I gave Bilal a one episode breather where we did uh, the iPhone episode. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Bilal, I gave you one breather. Smashed it. I, got, I gave you a breather, I brother. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bilal is, is the rock that's been there every episode and I think yeah I don't, I don't really we thought about formalizing that's the truth we have we've thought about taking on advertisers we just never really put our arms around it like Bilal has advertisers for for Creator Lab like he knows how to do this podcast stuff right and like we've had come people some people pitch to us and just like the reality is once you start formalizing this it completely changes that and I think we're at a very happy medium I'll tell you what makes me happy and uh, it kind of echoes what Jack said it's just nice it's nice to have that midweek curveball to what you're doing uh it also a lot of the news that i read it kind of goes in one ear and out the other but now that i know we have to chat about it you gotta spend a little bit more time and then actually it, from a learning perspective actually helps and uh and the last thing i'll say is, and this is for the listeners and i appreciate you know every we would try to respond to as many messages as we get we might not see all of them but the ones we do we we, we try to respond to it's great just to hear from some of the listeners man it's like and and who's listening like i like I'll get a message. I got a message like a month ago, two years in. Somebody's like, oh, I've listened to every episode. Somebody I know quite well. I had no idea that this person's listening to NIA. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's like, a yeah, quite a funny one, like, yeah. You know, yeah. You know that there's people listening. And I know my relationship with other podcasts that we've talked about. When I have a podcast that I love, I look forward to those things. So I'm like, you know, if we can keep doing that for a, a core set of listeners, that's all that really matters. Maybe yeah. it'll get bigger. Maybe it won't. It doesn't really matter. It yeah. is cool. It is uh I was just going to go back to what you said about when you read something or hear something and you think about it a little bit differently or like Celia will say, oh, did you see this? You should talk about this. Or there's like uh, something that we're talking about at home that becomes a, you know, something that I was ping to the, to the group and be like, yeah, this is worth, Cottage uh, cheese this is trending. worth a chat. I remember exactly. that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, man. There's a lot of good ones. No, but, and so the only thing I'd add is, yeah, I think like, like, obviously with Creator Lab and this, they're both really important to me just because 
as you guys know, all three of us really value podcasts, but I like love podcasts as much as anyone I know. <laughs> and so, uh, and so for me, it's just really important for me just to have it because I think it, it just feels good doing it. And to me, that's always been the, the main reason I always do it is because they, if you want to like get famous, if you want to build a business, whatever, like those are all things you can do through podcasting, but they're not necessarily the best way to do it. For me, what I care about is that long form discussions, understanding things of nuance. And it, this gives us a space to do that. And obviously you guys are smart guys. I learned quite a lot just hearing the stuff you guys are sharing in the group chat and discussing. So I, th- I just see it as a place to hang out, share stuff. And obviously <laughs> when people like it, that's always a really positive thing as well. Um, so the, the overall purpose is exactly that. It's like we, as long as we keep having fun with it and we keep sharing it and people still like it, then uh, I think we'll keep doing it long term. Um, obviously, like you said, the other stuff is still there. Like maybe in the future that will change. Maybe we'll say, oh, we're at a stage where we want to invest in, in a different way or we want to take on advertiser, we want to make money from it, whatever. But at the moment, that's not really the focus. So the focus is still create good shit, enjoy ourselves and uh, put good stuff out there. If people like it, then, then everyone's winning. So yeah, that's, that's how I see it, man. Um, One more thing. So we got, I actually yeah, got yeah, a yeah. number of messages about Ramin last week and people were like, oh, wow. Yeah. They're like, uh, I learned so much about India. He's like, would you, I've had a couple of messages like, I, they like these deep dives with kind of these, not, yeah. not that. So we talked about this too, more inside baseball. We enjoy mostly, we find that audience anecdotally, they like it when it's just the three of us. But every now and then, you know, you throw these curveballs and uh, just an idea kind of on the point of when we took it a bit more serious. There was a period last year around this time where we were like, we're just pinging off guests, left, right, and center, right? Uh, one individual, uh, uh, you might remember his name. Uh, uh, I believe uh, he's involved in the crypto community. I know we had a couple who might touch a note and, and, and Sailor. And, uh, but the point is, like, we and Bilal has actually brought us every time. I'm at, I'll say this. Bilal is like the, the flag waiver for NIA because I'll be like, hey, XYZ asked uh, if they could come on the pod. But I was like, man, honestly, man, I think people just kind of like it was the three of us. Yeah, I think, well, our discussion on that is we want to make sure that guest is like worthwhile for us and people listening. So it's not that those people aren't incredibly impressive people or whatever. It's just like, I feel like, for example, Ramin has so much to share on India specifically, something I was genuinely curious to learn more about. And that's kind of my filter with Crate Lab as well is like, like the, on Crayla, I get pitched people like every week, like, can they come on from publicists, stuff like that? And 90% of them, I just, I read it and I'm like, I, I'm not even interested in this now, let alone for two hours talking to someone. So it's, that's going to come across when you speak to them yeah. and record it. So that that's just kind of my gut instinct. But sometimes I'm wrong. Like sometimes there's been a few people where I wasn't 100% sure and then we did it. I was like, oh, wow, that was really interesting. Uh, you, so actually, that, you actually know something funny based on what you said, how you did publicists reached out. Uh, our boy Packy had a, really funny tweet a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw it. He's like, I want to start a podcast, but it's only with guests from the publicists that sent me their pitches. That's funny, you know man. some of those pitches are god uh, Yeah, and just do them like deadpan. Like, <laughs> that'd be great. Like, satire. Yeah. Tell good. me about your morning routine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So, yeah, that, that was, well, it leads us into the second question from Ali. Uh, who's your dream guest on the pod? We did, talk about this in the past but curious if you guys have any new ones since the last time we did this we obviously already had sailor which i think was for all of us 
one of the like, top this, uh, people because like, like the running joke of the show exactly right? it's just like especially in that time it was in the in the crypto hype cycle right yeah. in the thick of it and we got some gold in that one so well here's a great um, reply in that youtube video by the way uh which also kicked off a mini war between vitalik and uh and the oh, Bitcoin community. Yeah, I forgot about that. reply was, wow, Bitcoin is in such a bad place that he's going on this tiny little podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Oh, my God. That's so good. Yeah, Dude. real talk, though. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that is going to be an asset for the ages at recording, boys. Yeah. It'll be great. You guys don't be on? Gone. Who is a, who is a, a guest I would love my, to My have. one, I think we talked about it before, but for me, when we talked about comedians, because we thought that was a cool idea of bringing comedians on talking oh, about this and shit, it's Theo Von still for me. He's just, uh, man, it's the stuff show. he comes out hey, with just, is incredible. Well, hey, just right around the corner, just drive down the street. Yeah, just got to <laughs> knock on his window like our boy uh, would be doing. Just knock yeah. out the window, hang outside. Uh, no, I'm playing, man. So uh, you're going to bump into one. him at some point. But oh, Theo Von, could you imagine that? that I'm sure you would like some Schultz. I'm sure you'd like some Schultz in Schultz will be jokes as well, of course, yeah. Uh, but, you um, know, uh, for me, it'd be Rick Rubin because of, I've been listening to this podcast, which is just, it is unbelievable, his podcast. It's like, what's it called again? Because I've heard a couple of people mention it. I don't even know that. It's like Tetra. It's like something with a, a search of that. It's multi-syllabic with the letter T. It's not even a real word. A couple of things about that podcast that I like. Is obviously, uh, I don't know how many listeners have actually read his book, uh, or well, maybe I've probably seen him like you know, these clips of bio clips of him like being a producer where he's like literally just sleeping on the couch and like hanging out with people, right? Like, just the most refined taste, which is kind of the whole aesthetic of him. And like, you're listening to the podcast with all these very guests, right? So, I had John Mayer recently, then he had any child, Chris Chelios, he had Phil Jackson, the uh, a legendary NBA coach, and it's you're listening and you're seeing how his process is. It's just like, you're hanging out know, and he's just asking people questions and letting them explore their interests. And like, you're like, oh, this is how he makes his music. Like, this is literally how he makes his music. Basically, he said he doesn't even play instruments, right? That, that's, yeah, that's kind of like, his whole thing. No that's music. the most viral clip, right? He's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. I don't play. And he's yeah. like, I trust my taste. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would love to have him on because I have so many questions for him. His, his book's incredible. Yeah. No, he's the one. Let's get it going, boys. Jack, you got any more to throw into the mix, mate? I think we got to get Elon on there one day. Yeah, surely. I think that's that's obviously the. I'd say Elon and Sailor were obviously the two. You know what? You know what I do with the, the Elon one because I've heard so many of his interviews. Obviously, is uh, a little bit left field, like stuff that he doesn't really cover. Because one of his best interviews I've heard on podcasts is with Hardcore History. So he did one Dan Carlin about the history of military. Oh, uh, I haven't heard that. That's, yeah. That's so people looked that up, Hardcore History, Elon Musk. They talk about... Oh, wow. I think they also had the one of the top engineers from SpaceX on that uh, that podcast, three of them. So they're literally talking about like military vehicles and airplanes and, and fighter jets, So which is insane. So I would do... An Elon episode would be... I just want to talk about his favorite movies because I know he fucking loves movies and uh, I'd love to go down that rabbit hole because that's not super widely covered. But anyways... Sorry, Jack. Maybe we can make it happen. No, no, mate. that's it. That's, yeah. That's Definitely. all I have to say. All right, cool. All or right, Theo right. Von and Elon on the same pod. That would be also incredible. So, <laughs> you know what? It might happen. Involved. Maybe he'll get him on there. That would be. Let's, that would let's be throw great. Caleb Presley into it while we're at it. Oh, oh my, my God, God. The legend. Incredible. All right. Uh, let's switch it up a little bit with some business chat. So, this was a question 
about rugged large companies. So top companies have been running the indices. Which one do you think will get rugged, if any? Um, and then in a related question, NVIDIA was uh, not a single company's managed to outrun their PE forever. Thoughts on NVIDIA? I'll just throw that in because they're one of the top companies Oh, this, as well. is, this is a great question, actually. Yeah. I, uh, and while, while, well, we, while you're just about to say that, Trung, I'll share a link with you guys for the market cap of the top 10 companies so you can uh, see that while well, we're here, speaking. Here, let's do this. Blah, why don't you look up the market cap from the year 2000 of the top 10 companies also? So we'll give uh, our listeners a bit more context because I think that's kind of what the thrust of this question is. If you go through history... If you go through, if you look at 1930, 1940, 1950, 1960, 1970, and start of each decade, the list of the top 10 companies frequently changes. I think when Bilal looks now at the top 10 companies in the year 2000, we're going to see GE, Exxon. Uh, we will see Microsoft. I think AT&T is in there. Uh, probably some more OMG companies. I think now uh, in the world, the top 10 largest companies are, we'll, we'll know them. It's like, it's going to be Apple, Amazon. Uh, Alphabet, uh, yeah, Tesla, I'll just read it in order. Apple, Meta. Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Nvidia, Meta, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, Visa, and they didn't Eli include Lilly. Saudi Aramco there. Because yeah, yeah, started, I was just yeah. doing US and Saudi yeah. Aramco's at number one or two. So yeah. yeah, if you look, if you look at the year two thousand versus now, so oil and gas is actually one of the, probably the biggest changes. Is like they used to dominate top ten, and even now I think the oil and gas industry produces the most revenue. Uh, of any industry, which makes sense. But uh, the stock market is future-looking, so these companies are quote-unquote more valuable because we're signing all this future growth. The question is, can you outrun your PE, right? That's kind of like, which of these top companies may or may not be there in uh, uh, 10 or 20 years? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think what makes this era a little bit different is the nature of technology and the nature of why these companies are dominant. So Bilal just pulled up the year 2000. Bilal, want to do that again and just read them off? The difference. Yeah, let me send it to you because my, my computer is uh, freezing on me. So I'm waiting for All my right, new we'll Mac. All right, we'll have Rafa post so, it, but why don't you read yeah, off yeah, this top I'll 10 I'll just company. read out the, the yeah. companies here. So we got, this is year 2000, January 1st. Microsoft, biggest company in the world. Number two, General Electric. Number three, NTT Docomo. I don't even know what that is. Japanese telecom company. Yeah, all right, cool. Number four, Cisco. Walmart, yep. Intel, Nippon Telegraph, Nokia, Pfizer, uh, and then Deutsche Telekom, which is T-Mobile. Crazy, is, right? I mean, a lot of that had to do with, uh, I can maybe 2000 is not the best period because there's a lot of that. Because it was straight the at the internet, high of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, internet, bull market, but internet and telecommunication bull market. But the whole point is this changes, right? I think that's the threat. So I'd say of, of the set that you mentioned for the top companies today, I think all of the big tech guys are going to be there for the next 10, 15 years because they are well positioned to win on AI, this AI transition, and the best position by far, we've talked about it before, right? Even if OpenAI came out with the first best model, like where is money being made on the stack? Is like the compute that's involved, the, and, and the biggest cloud players are providing the infrastructure to make it happen. And then NVIDIA with the hardware side, right? Is like they're designing the chips that are powering everything. So yeah, I would, I think the excitement over NVIDIA is extremely justified. It's extremely justified. This is not investment advice, but I would also say that it, it will be in the tops. Uh, I think uh, the weakest position is is probably still Meta, uh, uh, which is why it's doing 
Although it has a very interesting angle in AI, it's trying to open source its models and basically destroy the economics of having your own uh, proprietary uh, uh, LLMs and uh, other types of AI models. But again, it's not investment advice. Uh, I've always been super bullish on Apple um, because of the install base on the phones. And whether or not that VR works out is just like, the iPhone is just the greatest like consumer product in the history of mankind. And like, they just had earnings and their services revenues are going up, which which people have been asking for years. I think they're on a hundred billion dollar run rate on services, and uh, that's insane. Tie, right? That's yeah, insane. it's insane. Which this is what? Tie in, what do they do? The, the app cloud app, stuff, app fees, cloud fees, and uh, uh, services oh, yeah, yeah. will include the app store stuff, uh, cloud cloud fees, uh, subscriptions, and uh, they're ripped from the app stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, makes so, sense. Which makes that's sense. insane, man. That's yeah. insane so, level. I think those guys are all going to win the uh, race ultimately, so they will be very well placed. I so, mean, Trunk, can I just add one piece of context for the NVIDIA stuff specifically? So the PE ratio as of August 2023 is 231. So that, just for comparison, Microsoft is 35. I think the big tech guys are normally between 30 and 40, roughly, like Apple, Google, uh, Meta. I think um, Tesla has actually come down quite significantly. I think it's... 70 or something i can double check in a second but it used to be in the hundreds or even thousands at one point i think so that what do you think about that though because that was a question for nvidia in particular because their price to earnings ratio has gone up significantly whereas Fair traditionally enough. it was at right. a similar range like 50 or something like that yeah not investment advice little, yeah probably they're gonna have to they're gonna have to go in they're going to have to perform into the current valuation like they're already being treated as if they're 10 years into the future right so, like, will they be able to 10x again is the question, right? That's a $10 trillion company. It's like, history suggests, probably not. And uh, I think that would be my answer on that front. Tesla is an interesting one because, I mean, even Elon says, right, that the entire thing kind of hinges on automation and self-driving and autonomy. Uh, uh, the valuation and the types of ancillary business lines. Uh, having said that, uh, their battery stuff is super interesting. And, uh, and even though... The market is the electric vehicle market is so competitive now. They've built some stuff that are, are quite I wouldn't call them straight up moats, but like the charger network. Everybody's basically gonna have to tap into their charger network now, and there's gonna be other revenue opportunities there. But yeah, I uh, back to the original question with Nvidia, not investment advice. Uh, 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 I'm a lapsed CFA, but I think realistically they have to grow into kind of this valuation. Well, what what would you say about Tesla? Because it looks like Tesla's. Because if I was looking at that top ten list, so just to remind us, we've got um, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Nvidia, Meta, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway, Tesla, and then Eli Lilly and Visa, right? I think is Eli Lilly the uh, health healthcare or something like that? I think. Yeah, yeah, a pharma. Yeah, a pharma, pharma, yeah, and then Visa. So to me, all of those are kind of like they're expendable. Now, is what oh, you're saying. Well, I mean, uh, to me, Tesla's the one that stands out still because all of the others, even though a lot of them are tech companies, Tesla is the one that is still, uh, even though it's hit crazy scale now and has brought actual earnings and so that they have a PE ratio now, they are still trading on this kind of premium-ish compared to a lot of the others for like, all the things you said, like the future projections, automation, the kind of promise, kind of what we discussed in the ex-Twitter discussion around Elon is the king of telling people this is the vision for the future and that's what it trades on most of the time 
So do, would you put Tesla in a different bucket to the rest or do you think that's still think just so going binary, to the top? And he even says it, it's so binary mm. for them to become like this, you know, when, when he when he says we'll be worth more than Apple and Saudi, uh, Saudi Aramco, that hinges on, in, in his own words, uh, uh, autonomy and self-driving. So I think that is extremely binary. I think the for me, the last thing I'll say about this, the big takeaway is it is true and it's something worth thinking about is that Historically, the top 10 companies are no longer the top 10 companies a decade hence, right? Yeah, so, that's a good point. So the reality is that when I say, oh, I think big tech's fine, the reality is that, no, one of them are going to end up dropping out. Let that, based on history. And uh, yeah. so I'm not being I'm not being very thorough in my answer, but I'm going to go back to NVIDIA. It'll just have to fill itself out. So Jack, yeah, what do you reckon about Visa? This is your chance to take a shot at the establishment mm. rails. So uh, any thoughts on that one? <laughs> I think... Visa probably has a quite spectacular network effect, moat, awareness, like all of these institutions that fight on behalf of it too or represent it, right? Like Visa is like, a, I think maybe a comparable to an NVIDIA type situation, right? Where payment rails as a like secondary thing in the same way like NVIDIA is a hardware component of a, many many different uh, devices so at the same time the you know just the the rent seeking like i think trunk's spoken about this a little bit it's like they're just incredible businesses to take what they take from every transaction in the world a million times a minute right it's just an unbelievable business and yeah i think over the long term open payment protocols where that value is redistributed to the people that are uh, securing the network feels inevitable to me, but it's going to be a hard fight. And you're seeing that now with, you know, people who are incentivized to protect those things because the people who uh, benefit from that margin can make very persuasive arguments to people who decide what the rules are got some legs left but i would say like visa would be in my mind more vulnerable than an apple or an nvidia because yeah. they have a network effect you can provide the service they provide cheaper and faster then you're eventually in trouble and it feels like to build up a competitive network to an apple is just like an insurmountable challenge yeah, it's just insane how difficult that would be software business right ultimately visa is a software business and a relationships business and entrenched in these like long agreements with other very well networked businesses but merchants and banks right exactly apple and nvidia is like that's like hard tech that is very like very Apple's hard got to the come phone after manufacturing down it's got the chip manufacturing it's like these guys and the software move. business that you're talking about right and yeah like and the, the software on top of it yeah the insane. integration yeah it's a. Uh, what I will say to Jack's thing about Visa is, I think Jack. I mean, that's why when Bilal's like team up, take a shot at the uh, take a shot at the the industry, right? The existing industry. But man, you gotta. I know, I know Visa has fat margins, but I've told around to like they kind of deserve that margin to be honest. Like you're traveling around the world, dude. You fly anywhere. You go to almost any. You go to you go to a roadside place in Vietnam, and they have a tap machine, right? That takes Visa. And it's like. Think about actually the magic that's happening there. They've abstracted this trust infrastructure. It's like 
this guy that's selling me a bond me on the street in Saigon is going to trust. I'm going to pay him $20,000 a bond me. And that he's trusting that the banks are going to talk to each other and that, uh, and that, and I'm trusting that he's going to, I mean, I want somebody to take money too, right? I just want to take street food for free. It's like this guy's running a business, right? It's like all this trust is built into it and you take, it, it's magical. It is actually magical. So I know the margins are insane, but I think they've kind of earned it. And uh, Well, you know, here's another interesting comparison. I agree with that. Like they provide an incredible service. The market cap of Visa is about 2x Ethereum right now. So just that's, as a, like, yeah. I don't know it's how. Way more useful. It's way right. more yeah, useful. Yeah, that's mad. Ethereum. That's mad. Damn, that well, makes me want to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I won't like, say that. One out loud. Yeah. I think it's a very, yeah. they're like, they're comparable and they're not at the same time, right? It's yeah, a, yeah, that's it's true. A, it's, it's a, a company versus a whole protocol. A protocol and a, a decentralized network. And and this idea, I think, of, uh, well, we were going to talk about this anyway, PayPal building rails on Ethereum, right? With their new PayPal stablecoin is going to put more volume through the Ethereum network. And interestingly enough that maybe there is some comparison there to a Visa, right? like a centralized entity that borrows a set of technologies that are already branded a certain way to increase the throughput of money in their business. And I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy right now. Like if that news would have been announced in 2021 that PayPal is launching a stable coin on Ethereum, you'd be well, sat back down. You would be sitting down right now, Trung. Let's say Wait, that. Hold on a second. <laughs> so for the listeners that don't know, my whole thing is I'm standing up until Bitcoin hits 69K. Because if it doesn't hit 69K, I'm underwater because I bought a lot of 60s. So, hold on a second. You guys remember though, PayPal did make that big move, right? They said that we're going to buy and sell. Uh, uh, wait, they made a move in uh, in the fall of 2021 that helped the Bitcoin run up. I don't know if you guys remember this, what they did. They allowed buying and selling a Bitcoin. I think they, yeah, you can yeah, buy maybe, Bitcoin yeah. and Ethereum with PayPal. That, that precipitated this run up. And an interesting thing to Jack's point, I totally agree. If this announced, so it kind of makes you wonder, like if this announcement had come out at that period. So Bernhard Hobart, who writes the Disc newsletter, has a great piece this morning about it. He's like, he's like, this feels like a November 2021 announcement. But then he's like, well, also when you know we're in this so-called crypto winter, it's good to start scooping up some of the baggage, right? He's like, it's less competition, there's less mind share. So like. The, the, the converse to this, uh, Jack, is if this news comes out November 2021 or if it comes out in June 2022, it might actually have just been, oh, another news cycle of a big player getting involved, right? Whereas now, crypto's, crypto's quote-unquote dead, right? It's the crypto winter. Uh, even though there's been a bit of a comeback over the past six months, it's like PayPal gets to come in now. It's the big corporate, first big corporate announcement since whatever, maybe Starbucks with their... With mm-hmm. their special network that they had going on. Uh, I don't even know what Starbucks was doing. It was some kind of token. But anyways, uh, the other thing that the bird said that's interesting is like, also, maybe it, just, it took two years to just actually create a proper stable coin. <laughs> it's like, maybe they want that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to well, do this properly. Yeah, and it's been it's already been criticized by, like it's written in an old version of Solidity and they can freeze and... Uh delete your balance at any given point in time like that's 
it's basically a transfer in my mind of the functionality that already exists on PayPal, but it probably helps them with like cross-border remittance, faster transmission of money, and maybe even like, it's like the Starbucks thing, right? More people hold a balance at PayPal if yeah. they can use this, if you can just broaden the 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 uh, number of assets that can be deposited and held in your financial institution, that's probably it's a good a thing. It's a low-hanging fruit for them, right? right? They already have the, the, the users that are used to paying, adding, they already do multiple currencies. It's like they're basically adding another currency to their thing. So I guess we've already jumped into this question then. So let me ask both of you, what do you guys think of this move? Is it more of a PR angle, as in like they'll get the rah-rah on it, or will it drive anything meaningful? I'm, I mean, I'm convinced in it for obviously a lot of reasons I've talked about over the last couple of years. And one of the features that I've been asking my business bank to enable is USDC deposits. Because right now, it's like a five-step process to get, you have to go through all these different institutions to convert USDC into USD, then deposit in a bank versus just being able to move it to the bank in five seconds for a dollar or 50 cents, regardless of the amount of money. Yeah, it would make accounting easier. It's, there's a ton of things that it offers, like in terms of uh, usability, speed, reliability, all that stuff. So in my mind, no, it feels like, uh, it feels like a much more, maybe one way to think about it is like if PayPal ran on a ledger, it would massively increase the operational efficiency of the business too, right? They're like consolidating all of these manual records. I have a few friends that work in like FinTech, I guess you could call it. And they've each explained to me in different ways how uh, archaic the banking system is, right? Like truly insane that you, you would not believe the level of like, like the age of some of the systems that are running and managing massive, massive amounts of money. Like there's a lot of just implied trust. Like I think I'm going to completely butcher this, but the idea of your paycheck being deposited more often than not is like advanced by the financial institution because they have a record of you paying versus the money being there, right? Like all this stuff is like IOU, IOU, IOU on the basis of credit. And then that gets consolidated at a certain point, all these records versus 200,000 nodes say this money moved from here to here, there it is, and there it was. It's a very, very different like philosophical thing. And in my mind, that's, that, that brings up this extra question now of like, well, why would PayPal do that? It's because you're just trying to drive transaction volume, right? That's their, that's their priority, I guess. And eBay, what, 90% of eBay transactions go through PayPal, something like that? Like 30 or 40% of Shopify transactions go through PayPal? I did not know that. It's a lot. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm based off my own experience with Shopify, I'm guessing that, but it's a good amount. And yeah, I don't know, maybe trying to capture some of the capital that exists on chain right now. You know, it's like a frick a less high friction way to capture some of the velocity of money that's moving around on Ethereum. Maybe that's not a big enough opportunity for them, you know? 
but there's there's plenty of move, money moves around that network every day. It's hard to ignore, I guess, if you're in the online payments business. Yeah. And I'll just say, Pung, that was your question, asking about PayPal stablecoin, so we kind of answered it there. I'll just expand the question that we had from Niall Quinn, because we we're already talking about it. He said, your update thoughts, basically, on the current state of crypto on Web3. So I think we kind of touched on some parts there, but anything else to add there, boys, on like a broader view of where we are in the cycle, how your sentiment has changed towards it, how you're using it and um, feeling towards it right now. I love Jack's thing. I have zero to, I, I barely yeah, done about Jack's working crypto in, at all. Jack, you're still yeah. obviously really heavily involved with the NFT mm -hmm. stuff you've been doing. So yeah, curious on your side. I just want this freaking GBTC to be converted into an ETF so I can, I can, so you can discount? sit down. <laughs> the discount on the uh for I don't even know what the discount is now, but I don't know, but for the trust uh is I think fifty percent uh from uh the, the 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 net asset value. Just just convert it or close it down, give the money back at par. Uh that's all. That's the only thing I've been thinking about. It's like a sucker. I have large GPTs too. Yeah, yeah. Jack, what, what I mean, about I you? have like yeah, I have an almost indescribable visceral belief in this stuff that does not correlate with market <laughs> sentiment at all. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Like I, I, I can use it, and I have the same experience. You know, the first time I signed a transaction three years ago or however long ago it was to now, where I'm like, yeah, eventually people are gonna figure this out. You know, like it just is superior in so many different ways. And you say specifically, last... sorry, when you say sign a transaction, you're talking about with the NFTs, not just cryptos. Oh. I'm talking about, I'm specific, like Ethereum is 99% of my yeah, experience yeah. and conviction. And like, yes, the principles that were considered when Ethereum was being built, I believe will, you know, create new and great technologies, but principally talking about what I have experience with. And in the last six months, I've kind of learned you get a way clearer view on it when it's not purely hype driven, right? When it's not a... Yeah, it's like utility driven. Yeah, or uh, yeah, utility is an interesting word. It's like people do it because they want to do it versus, um, you know, a thousand new entrants a day looking at a CNBC ticker and then seeing a number go down from X to Y and never look at it again it's like people this is not universally true but it feels like a higher percentage of people evaluate it based on its like fundamental qualities versus the highly highly steroid speculation that you saw in 2021 right and and i think this happens every cycle of crypto you have these like fervent believers or so-called believers at the beginning and then, you know, for whatever reason, and fair enough, it's not as exciting because it's not as volatile. So people move away from it. But there's a very small group of people that I think think about it an entirely different way, right? Like the same way you want to, I don't know, the same way you consume anything that is like truly interesting to you and like play around with it and want to like dig at it without extreme financial incentives yeah it just feels like the quality and this is all cliched stuff it's like the quality of stuff being built in the periods of time where there's the least attention 
seems true because you have to fight so much harder to get attention when it's not just, you know, throw anything out into the world and people will consume it because they think it's attached to this bigger thing. It's like you really have to win over and and articulate why it is you're doing what you're doing to get anybody to even pay attention to it. So that feels like, uh, you know, it creates an environment where you, you're more harshly judged for what you create, which in many cases drives you to create better things. And I feel like I've done the best work in my life in the last six months. Whoa, see, people. 100%. This is, this is like life alpha right here. Jack is like, so Jack, you're as bullish as you've been over the past three for years. For sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. And even like, because you can decouple some of the immediate financial returns from the success of things too, like the, in the same way that, you know, using the internet 20 years ago, not everybody that used the internet 20 years ago was trying to build an internet business, right? It wasn't yeah. like, you can't <laughs> evaluate Bilal yeah, was. yeah, Bilal was obviously, yeah, the OG, <laughs> Ecom Bilal over here. Bling, bling, king. Exactly. But yeah, I think that some of the things that are, that surfaced that for me and the people that I've spent time with in the last six months is this is just a new set of primitives for doing things on the internet, right? And there is an economic value attached to those things, which feels like it's getting more normalized by the day too. Like the, the X payouts, look at the, one of the details actually that I caught on the X payout thing was the like seven decimal points on the, on the payout amount, which I imagine was intentional, which to me signals this like, I don't know, it's just a more nuanced communication of how much they're splitting up value or how like accurate the payment is based on your activity. I can't explain it exactly, but that to me feels like a move in this direction where the, the, the real time transmission of value is getting way more normalized. And that's what crypto is, right? Mm, yeah. You, you know, uh, who has a, a different take on that, but also interesting is, uh, our, our friend levels. Well, I actually don't know Peter levels, but Peter we each yeah. other. but uh, I know that, uh, Bilal has interviewed the man. Uh, oh, no, no, Danny, 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 Danny. Oh, Danny. yeah, yeah, Danny. Yeah, so I haven't interviewed Peter Levels, so though. He's a G. He's the founder of Nomad List and st that guy, right? Mm -hmm. This was his tweet this morning. Uh, he's he's talking about exactly what you just said about the the the, uh, the payments. Decimal points, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seven, he goes, it ironically gives me so much trust in X that they don't over-engineer emails like this. They don't even number format the 306.6470857. I'm not joking. I think that's a positive signal. This is his take, though. They're shipping fast and not carrying most small details like that. Whereas yours, like, you know what? Maybe they are carrying with the detail. As in I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe, yeah. I have never um, built anything that transmits that out. So I don't know the connection between the email and the, like, payment database. I imagine they're like, it's reading it directly from that. And I get his point that it's like, it feels like um, there's a direct connection. So it's like making a different observation but in my mind it does feel like well that's not a made-up number right like yeah, that yeah, is yeah. a you're literally plugged into it's the calculation the yeah, exactly yeah. exactly it's like insert field here and someone either forgot to add the number of, uh like you said <laughs> like if that went through a pmm like a product market manager or someone who's responsible <laughs> 
and they'll be like, oh no, we need to format that and change it to two decimal points yeah, or yeah, 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 just yeah. round it up or down or whatever. And they're like, no, no, this is just going straight out raw. I mean, the speed of it funny. is insane too, right? And this got to be good for Stripe too, right? This is all oh, yeah, going, going through going Stripe. Stripe, right? You, you have to Incredible. have a Stripe account to get paid out, yeah. But Dude, just, like, you know, the imagine, the, I was just going to say, the amount of time you would imagine an initiative like that would take to get through a typical fortune 500 company we're going to start paying our customers on the monthly basis yeah, like a split yeah. of our advertising rate. it's insane like i think like to be able to force that through and the time has been done is remarkable and we said it a couple of episodes ago it's like regardless of what you think about elon or twitter or x or rebrand or whatever it's like the speed of execution is like unlike anything you see at that scale and that's like largely what he gets critiqued for i guess is doing the yeah both sides of that do, yeah yeah well, we, doing the changes on the fly at that scale but in order to get like to turn something around that feels like it's you don't have the luxury of and in many cases not a luxury either right it's just corporate culture that drags these things on why can't we get this done tomorrow it's you know, an a service agreement with Stripe and an email template. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is That's... to add to Jack's point because I do want to say, like, what Zuck's been doing about the past six months, obviously, with that Threads launch and, like, the way he pivots the company continually, that is the level of speed, I think, is, is like... But the point is this. Zuck's the founder, right, of Meta and Facebook. Like... This is why when people say, oh, you need a founder in the seat to make these things happen, or Bellagio yeah. was talking about the founder energy, is like, I would say that the Threads launch, uh, the, the pace of it was probably uh, more impressive than, you know, for example, the, the Karina payout. But the point is this, Twitter, Elon is not the founder of Twitter, but he's brought that mentality to Twitter. Well, how right? do you know how long Threads was under development? They said six months. They said. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> well, no. But no, what I'm saying is this. But, but Jack... Can we get community notes said. on that? Yeah, can I'm we agreeing, get community I'm actually agreeing with your point. Is like, the Facebook and Meta is able to do that because they have... Yeah, something. no doubt. Oh. And they're still, like, I would say they're still... They're still subject to some of that, like, Fortune 500 entropy. You yeah, know? they're a publicly listed right. company. They still have a... They were... You're 100% correct. Uh, so let me add the next layer to my point because when Jack starts talking, I got to start integrating everything he's saying because they're all valid points. You're right. It's like the speed. So you only brought founder energy to Twitter and an urgency to Twitter. And they can actually do stuff exactly to your point that Meta cannot do because just take Creator Pay as the number one point. If Instagram and Meta... Uh, at Facebook Blue and Threads started impending this, they would get murdered by the stock market, yeah. right? They go literally, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Just, Now that I'm talking to you, boy, and you guys are explaining it, it's actually a great vector to compete against. Even if the numbers are nominally small, or whatever the payout's been, $10 million maybe, and um, and it's a bit, and you have to be part of Twitter Blue to do it, which you're paying just to get this space. So there's this whole thing going on. The PR is fantastic. And we talked about YouTube. They paid out what about twenty billion to creators yeah, in the last like year. That, yeah. It's like the scale is just totally different. However, if Meta tried this, 
they tried to take their margins would get crushed. And uh, and, and from a business angle, I don't think they can ever do that. I mean, they've had creator funds uh, and stuff like that and incentives, but like a YouTube type split will not happen on Meta because uh, if it does, it will be a fraction of what YouTube does. But Twitter can actually do this and compete. Well, because sorry, Instagram just turned this on now on on Reels. They just turned on. Oh, they have they have a rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the last few weeks, I think. Well, I think there's a lot of percentages. I was looking up while Jack's talking on. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say there's like this Overton window of of business, maybe like the Elon playbook is like always shifting the window, the Overton window of like how you can behave as a yeah steward of a company of that size and even talking about the payout stuff in the way it's been talked about shifted all of that right it was like this taboo thing it was like oh you don't share the exact revenue you're making with the people that are making you the revenue you know it's like this very like youtube that's a very specific niche on youtube where people would talk about monetizing youtube 95 percent of people would never talk about it and the crazy thing about it be that policy being set and even the culture and tone around it being set by Elon the way it was and him subscribing to a bunch of people and talking about it on like endlessly had everybody posting that everybody yeah. no matter like what type of stuff they write or what they share or what they're about it's like i made 20 bucks i made 300 bucks i made $10,000 i did this it feels like it normalized this conversation around being a contributor of value and getting something back. And it's very, it's only a very subtle difference from like how Instagram had done subscriptions and things before, but the tone of it, I think it's also this idea of like, you own the network. We're trying to make it freer. We're trying to like be as transparent as possible about how we're running this encourages people to talk about it a certain way rather than like oh i have this like secret agreement with this platform i'm getting paid and 99 percent of people are just consuming my stuff so it's it's like a change in behavior and culture that i think should bring people over too one other thing we didn't talk about is they let you hide the blue check now have you seen that oh really yeah. that's you interesting can, you can be a subscriber to twitter blue or x premium is called now right and turn the blue check off so uh that's it, interesting interestingly i feel like my prediction i think if in a year's time they'll all be gone it's like just uh, slowly they'll just get rid of the blue checks completely they'll just they'll just get phased out or because it'll come all the way back and there'll be some sort of new name for celebrities and people yeah, in yeah the exactly yeah, yeah. oh yeah people we'll have, have to we'll have to badge it somewhere right it'll, like, be, it'll an, be the eight dollar badge of X yeah or ch yeah yeah. Wait, so uh, I just want to grab, uh, you guys are right. Uh, Reels does do a rev share. I think uh, some of the people putting it are quite mad. And we talked about it before, right? Like the, the rev shares on these these uh, these short videos are just absolute ass. It's very small. Oh, TikTok yeah, yeah. got ripped for that too. Remember yeah. that? When people get yeah. 100 million TikTok views yeah. and they get paid like 40 <laughs> cents or something. No, what, <laughs> I, what I will say, uh, Jack, actually, you brought up a great point. Is like people are so much more aware of Twitter's payouts. Like, Punching so far above its weight, right? They paid out $5 million. Everybody's talking about it. The media shitting on it, saying the payouts aren't going at the right time, X, Y, Z. And I was like, you're giving them free advertising. But the point is, uh, what I'll say, let me let me clarify my thoughts on the meta thing. 
they have to be much more careful about yeah. revenue share because they're a publicly listed company doing a hundred plus billion dollars a year. And if you start promising percentages, like you're lopping off right. straight from the bottom line, right? <laughs> like that, that I think that is my takeaway is like, yeah. And th- but this it goes back to what you said two weeks ago, uh, Jack. In two years, people are, hey, I've already forgotten about Twitter. Like they're over. The Twitter rebrand, life's gone up. Yeah. A year from now or two years when X goes public with X AI wrapped in with real-time trading models of the the most unique real-time text data in the world, trading this AI, <laughs> this thing goes public. It's got an NVIDIA chart. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> to, to answer the NVIDIA question, yeah, we're going to have to make room for a new top 10 company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways. I see. Yeah. I, I, it's, and it's the most perfect example of the attention game too. Like the threads thing, it just shows you how difficult it is to stay top of mind for that period of time, especially as a operator of businesses. Like who else does that? That is, you know, it's like the Ryan Reynolds thing on steroids, right? It's like you have this really interesting overlap of direct interest in these entities and the ability to command attention and a platform. Whereas in most cases, in my background, I guess taught me this is like, you're asking somebody to talk on your behalf. This is all the overlapping themes that we talked about on here for years and years creator economy on steroids, right? That cringe ass term that wherever that came from two or three years ago, think boy era is like, Elon's just doing that on a hunt on a thousand X, right? Like, in a, yeah, 44 billion X. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's the, 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 the turnaround between like the direct revenue generating activities and the tweet is so narrow, so close. And all the stuff that you're talking about, the meta thing, like, Hey, we want to introduce this new feature. Okay. We need to call a meeting of these team, that team, this team come together, go back, do that, do that, do that. And that to me, that is the huge advantage is that what is seen as recklessness is also like pulling these massive, like amounts of leverage on this thing that can turn on a dime and is more robust than a lot of people think it is in many ways, you know, like, oh, it's over. We changed the logo. It's over. No one's coming back. So fucking you guys are absolutely lost your way. That, do well, you know, know what's funny? Go, go, no, on, go, on, go on, No, no, give your thought because I want to kind of pivot. I was just going to say, it's funny because, uh, yeah, the original Facebook thing was it move fast and break things or whatever. But like by this stage, that's literally what Elon has been doing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. scale. Though I will say, like you said, Trung, I mean, if it was actually six months to do that at scale, like it isn't an easy thing. Like we don't know how long it actually took or whatever. So it is difficult and not much necessarily broke when they did it. It's just more about our people retaining on that platform. I don't think anyone, I haven't seen anyone still using threads that I know of anyway, right? So there's just like a completely different thing. Whereas when face when uh, Elon's doing with Twitter, it's already, he's coming in with this thing that's being used by a few hundred million people for this purpose with text and video and images and when he does it it just feels like when he breaks something in air quotes it it's just more visible do you know what i mean because he's he's changing his mind and he's like oh well now we're doing the check and now we're changing it and then oh we're taking it away and it's that feels very to a lot of people like what the hell is going on over there 
Whereas when it's a complete brand new startup, you don't realize because no one's using it. So I think just there's more eyeballs on everything he's doing in this case. And it's a self-perpetuous, like a self-reinforcing loop. Like you break something, but it isn't fatal. The story gets more interesting. Like any, yeah, yeah. any plot of any story, right? It's like, yeah. oh, we got so close to failing, but now we're back. We've this this barrier has just turned up. We're gonna like hobble our way over it. Something gets yeah. broken. It is interesting you said about the fact you're able to take away the blue check now because I'm seeing outside of the tech circles where <laughs> people, people are using it, every, people, it. Like, for people who don't have a what like for people that have a blue check, yeah, like people respond like, oh, you're blue, the equivalent yeah. of a full kit wanker, which is yeah, an yeah, English yeah, term yeah. for someone trying, if you've never heard that phrase, it's like if you're wearing an Arsenal or a football kit and you're wearing the shorts and the socks, like shin pads to score with yeah. the shin pads you're called a full <laughs> kit wanker and so to me that is what people are essentially calling people with blue checks in other circles that like i have another account for football and anyone who's got a blue check in there they'll respond be like oh well you pay for this shit so i'm not listening to you you're an idiot yeah. sort of thing just yeah. carved right yeah but yeah. I'm, th I'm looking at those accounts i'm thinking these guys could be making a decent amount of money considering how much Good. you know engagement they yeah. get but they're not Are you signed up. These crazy Twitter modern. Oh, you're saying they're not because yeah, a lot of them weren't. They don't want the blue check. Yeah, because a lot of them you needed to have the blue. You needed well, to be verified. How that's gonna change, uh, right? Oh exactly. yeah. And people, but now, the, but change? I think it's smart that they've given the, the people the ability to turn it off because, like, for some of those people, they're like, I don't want that. It's like a negative signal, right? And now Whereas, you get paid. Exactly, but you get paid. So yeah, it's, it's quite just, an interesting I mean, one. It's going away, boys. It's going away. Like that that symbol is gonna yeah. get it's already been like the the meaning of it is so muddied. And before it was a little bit that you could game the system and blah blah, but the entry point was still super high. Like you have to pay some PR agency to write stuff about you to get, you know, get even be a notable person. Do the yeah. submission process, right? Here's three articles from like Forbes. Yeah. Forbes X Bloomberg. or whatever they call really? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And now, yeah, it's like, it's this really fascinating process of like removing what it used to stand for to the point where now it makes sense. We just yank it from everybody. And this is like the carrot of pay $8 a month to be eligible to earn $9 a month even. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, yeah, fair. And I, yeah, I don't know. That's that. That is the one thing of like the economics of it. Hard to figure out how that how that works. I would or love what... to see that dis di distribution of people. <laughs> like saying, <laughs> oh, the amount fifteen of people million paying... impressions. It's fifteen million impressions to qualify, right? Which or three oh, months, I think. Is... Oh, five three million months, a month. Which is, I don't know what you, what the typical audience size is for that, but it's probably probably quite high now probably now yeah, something is recent. 30 40,000 i would think minimum yeah yeah, yeah 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 let me see what uh that's a uh, lot wait blood we have a question on uh on uh lk99 actually because there's i think some yeah interesting well there were a we couple we were going to rattle off a couple more of this kind of businessy industry thing before we do personal stuff but the the couple of questions we had were superconductors negative aspects of ai and then one question on everything app do you want to do everything app since we're just talking about it really quickly it was, uh, the question was from Matt Sayano or yes, yeah, Sayano. If Elon is able to build a do it all app out of X, then what will he do differently than WeChat to make it better and appeal to Western civilization? We did just do a whole episode on X and rebrand and stuff, but we didn't really cover 
this part. Do you have any thoughts, Tron, specifically? Because yeah, I think I get you through, would mention. So I'll, I'll say uh, a couple of things. I'll listen like this. I'll say the differences with WeChat and the challenges of actually building everything out. Uh, I'll say why uh, I read a recent article about, you know, there already kind of is a super app. It's called Apple. I mean, the, uh, basically, the everything app, Apple, yeah. iOS is basically the everything app, right? Um, uh, and uh, the third part is what can be done differently? All right, so the difference with WeChat is this. So we've talked about WeChat in the past. I, I'm sure most of our listeners know, but for people that don't, it's a super app in China, which basically, uh, what, what does it allow? Like Airbnb, no, like Uber, Twitter, yeah. Substack, Google. Venmo. Uh, Venmo. Uh, yeah. All these servers um, into one stock app. Stockbroken account, probably. Yeah. I don't even it's know. It's basically yeah. a platform in an app. I've never and, used uh, it, to be honest, but I, I've yeah, heard I, it, obviously, from other people. I downloaded it once, like, many years ago. Never had a purpose to use it. Never really used it. But, like, this idea is popular in Asia for a couple of reasons, right? It's the time that they came up uh, in the, say, called the early 2010s. A couple of things going on in China. Hey, the internet's not very good in China. So you kind of want, instead of, like, a bunch of apps that don't work very well. If you could have all these services and one app that works really well, okay, let's just do that, right? Second thing, China banned all com- foreign competitors, right? It's like, you're not having a banking app in China uh, from the West. You're not having a, a search engine from the West. Twitter's not a, a, in China. Facebook's not in China. Um, so the services that existed and were successful elsewhere, they're not coming to China. Uh, tons of regulatory and like friends with the CCP stuff going on. They want everything centralized, right? Like this is to the benefit of China. They want it centralized, uh, so they have to, uh, they have a choke point on the internet. If everybody's using WeChat, China, the Ch- Chinese Communist Party has a simple choke point. So I think all those things are very different than what's happening in the year 2023 with uh, X as everything app. So X as an everything app, well, a every market that Elon wants to enter is already very saturated. B People in North America and the West are used to having multiple apps. Uh, and C, there is like the element of, you know, the regulatory element. Do you want somebody coming in and doing this, right? Having everything app. Um, which brings it to the other problem we talked about. Like, Jack, iOS. If you use iOS, right, it's basically the everything app. It's like you use yeah. iOS, its hook is that the messaging, right? iMessage. You have to have an iPhone to have iMessage. And iMessage is a communication, a uh, 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 text communication platform that if you have an Android, you got the green bubbles, everybody roasts you mercilessly, right? So like there's that that part of it. Like that's the hook. Like if if Elon's hook for uh, X is that everything app is starting with the social network of Twitter or former Twitter, then, you know, Apple has the iPhone, uh, the, sorry, iMessage. And then Apple already has paid. Everything you use in iOS is some functionality. It's that... funny how that's just like a, it's like semantics, right? Like yeah. they've done it in a more yeah. seemingly uh, separate way, but it's more centralized it's, it, than anything. Yeah. I will never not use Apple. Like I'll tell you now, I'll never buy an Android. Because if I get a new phone, I want the one click, bring all the stuff that I have my entire life into this new device. That's it. Right? Like, it's the everything app for me. So that's what I would say is the biggest challenge, actually. It's, I, I feel bad because I totally forgot who wrote this article, uh, but I read it recently about Apple iOS is already kind of the everything app. Uh, that is how I would kind of frame the everything challenge. Having said that, can everything still 
do everything, not necessarily uh, do everything for hundred to three hundred million people. I think yes. I think that's very much like if that many people are using uh, X uh, social network every day, and then you're seeing with the 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 creator stuff, uh, the creator payouts, and if they can rope in, I think the next leg of this move is to properly have newsletters, podcasts, all those other multimedia that can sit in the X home. Then you have this concentration of stuff that and before we start going to do, like we, we, when Jack mentioned it two weeks ago, it was like, oh, they're going to do a training app. You called it. You said, uh, well, when news came on yesterday. It's like, they're tossed the eToro to do trading on like on, on X. I don't know when or if that's going to happen, but Jack mentioned it as part of this everything app vision. I think, uh, I think they secure the media, secure that, and then worry about the other stuff. But it's a challenge. It's a huge. Do you challenge. know? Do you know what Tesla does with like the deposit capital? Are they running some like they operating off the yield of deposits that they have for Not Starbucks cars bank or anything? Yeah, vibe. I would. I would imagine that there. I haven't read the fine print, but there must be very clear rules over those deposits. I'd imagine they're probably sticking it that money in like a super super safe uh, asset. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah, know. Buying Bitcoin on there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. T bills. No, I like, I guess the, I don't have the perfect language to describe this, but the idea of the iOS as an everything app is like a one way economy. You know, it's like you bring the money to us and we sell you stuff versus what I think is happening here. And I, I guess there's peer-to-peer payments through Apple Pay right now, right? There's a, but the hook is not. And this you can is even grandiose, text someone right? money, but I don't know anyone who uses it. But right, you, you can technically. Someone tried doing it to me once, and I was like, "How do you even set this up?" But yeah, there there is that ability. So, something about this idea of money moving in both directions on X to me is a like drastically different philosophy from the get-go so like my understanding is i can't remember what interview clip i saw but this having a balance within x that allows you to purchase things within x that you earn things within that you know trade buy deposit credit all of those things to me, I don't know intimately know the, the nuances of WeChat, but I imagine is WeChat got like a Twitter style front end somewhere? Yeah, right. Think like so. A, a master. Well, so you click it and you kind of see like your what you're trying to use is like interface. But do they, they do have an equivalent a, to Twitter though, like the right. town square of China? Like, do yeah. they have that? Let me pull it up here. Wait, I'm go not ahead. sure because I thought they have their own have version of Twitter. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. No, I don't have an installed. Made you install Jackson. that, right? That's where he tops up the Wi-Fi credits. The Wi-Fi credit. Every time it goes off, you gotta go in there, top it up. Yeah. But no, but um, no, I, I, I haven't used it, so I'm not sure. I thought I thought there was another. I forgot the name of it. No, but I here it there is. Was... It's like uh, we can have uh, a boy Rafa throw something, but that's like the WeChat home screen. It's like just a bunch of like mini programs. That yeah, literally so looks like an is iOS it screen, right? To, yeah, it's not. I don't know. But it I feels think like a different, different information architecture, different like relationship between platform and user to me. 
And so maybe somebody can yeah. help me understand the difference well, in the, the comments here. The only thing I'd I'd say, um, trunk to the comparison to iOS, which I think is a really smart comparison, and that's probably the closest we have to it here. But in in honesty, it's not really, you know, the big difference is that there's not a billion people sending each other Venmo style uh, payments on, on Apple, right? Like in terms of using iMessage, they are doing it through Apple and Apple probably gets a cut somewhere on some of those things, but but, but not really on the Venmo thing, right? Because it's, it's free to do that. So I, I don't even know how they would make money from that. Obviously, Apple is collecting money from all of the app store. So that's the, the closest part of it. But it's not the same as Apple owning a Twitter or owning, uh, you know, the Venmo or the stock trading app. Like if they own Robinhood, Venmo and XYZ in there and it was all under the Apple brand and they had the margins of the person who owns that versus just the platform taking a cut, that would be the closest to it, I think. But but you're right, it's closest we have in the West. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know, maybe I'm missing something there, but that's the only pushback I'd I'd have. Didn't he tweet recently? Like, didn't he make some outrageous statement? Like, it will be the most valuable company in the world at some point. Did who, he say that? Who, Elon, right? Musk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 he did. I think I saw that as well. I, I definitely heard trillion dollar valuation thrown around, but uh, but uh, th that's not on the docket. Uh, I've already I've already blown my trillion dollar uh, evaluation on NVIDIA. Uh, uh, all my brain cells aren't justifying that. X will become the most valuable brand on earth. Mark my words. All right, well, if it, well, I'd say this. He's, if called he got his, the, he's called the shot, boys. If he got the Everything app to work in America and the Western world, it, it would be. But that's a, that's a big jump from for today, the outlines, For the challenges outlined. Yeah, that's true. All right, boys, should we move on to the next uh, topic? So uh, yeah. I think we talked about the Everything app stuff already. The, we'll touch on the last couple of things of industry stuff. Since we're going to be thread boys here, superconductors. This was from Tyler Hardin and Tommy. Basically trying to get our opinion on it. I'll say I know very little except for listening to like two podcasts on it. Um, Eric Jorgensen did a great thread on it. We should link to that. Oh, yeah. All right. Breakdown okay. with uh, a lot of um, accessible language and the applications in the short and long term. Should this be a uh, real Become development? A yeah. yeah. Well, Trung, before we start recording, you basically said, Something about it. Well, what did you say again? Yeah, so Alex Kaplan, who uh, uh, who does Commentier, so uh, I believe that's his company. Uh, he the coffee. Yeah. So he made a very viral thread. He's a uh, he's a uh, Princeton physics cat. So he made a viral thread about LK99. TLDR being is like it can do superconductor stuff at room temperature, which uh, versus now the difficulties when you're using. When you're trying to have like electricity move at this rate, and you need very specific conditions, right? So, Try really quickly, just a thirty second. Of what is a superconductor? Though? So when you conduct the people uh, who don't know. when you conduct the energy now, you need it, and the way that superconductors do it, where it's like it's like basically no loss. It's like if that happens today, it has to happen at very very specific temperatures and very specific pressures, whereas. This can happen at room temperature, which is why you've probably seen room temperature. The LK99 yeah. version, yeah. yeah. Some kind of, it's, a, it's a material from uh, a South Korean scientist in basically 1999 found that if you did certain, uh, took a certain material and you added lead or copper, I, can't, I don't I can't remember which it was, but the whole point is like LK99 is the material, but it could serve as a superconductor 
And this is like kind of the holy grail of physics because now you can move energy around without losing uh, a ton of it. And it can happen at room temperature instead of these very specific conditions. Like the, the, the simplest application is kind of like that we could wrap our head around. It's like the storage of energy is like if you had this room temperature semiconductor, you basically have a perfect thing that can store electricity, lose none of it, and give it to you whatever you need. And right, right now, you might lose like 70, 80%. Uh, you lose a lot, right? 10, 20, so 30%. This would obviously be revolutionary, but is there TLDR of where we're actually at with it? Because yeah, so the TLDR of where we're at is a week. So, South Korean scientists working on this in the late 1990s. It's called LK99. This is his acronyms. Uh, sorry, the letters of his name and then the year 99. So, during COVID, it looks like uh, there was some funding to look at some material sciences. And this paper that was put out, it was put out on, um, this is getting into the weeds of like how like scientific discoveries are published, but ARSIM, A-R-X-I-V.org, uh, which we probably see papers on, I'm sure listeners have seen papers on, uh, on that site. It's like, you're not going through like a, a peer review process, right? You're kind of like, making proclamations and you're posting it and you're letting other people look at them. And this paper came out, I think it was like 10 days ago. But, but anyways, Alex made a super viral tweet about the applications of, of the superconductor. And yesterday, uh, he wrote this. So he wrote this at 7 p.m. yesterday. It's as close to official as we'll probably get. LK99 is likely simply a ferromagnetic material, which explains its levitating properties according to a new research paper from Peking University. The room temperature superconductivity revolution will have to wait another day. So it's looking like the recreation of that paper, which caused all this hype, some incredible memes on Twitter. And again, this is what I want to talk about, because on top of the fact that I probably butchered the explanation of what the superconductor uh, material, the superconducting material is, the part that was interesting to me was how real-time and exciting it was on X. Like, this thing, the paper hits, a couple people start tweeting about it, and people go nuts. Like, and, and uh, I've heard this from a couple of the podcasts, and I do agree with the sentiment, is like, when you're the main character on Twitter, it's usually for an awful reason, right? Like, when somebody's a main character on Twitter, they're getting dragged for political reasons, or cultural war reasons, but LK99 was the main character, and it was everyone just wanted this to be real. Everyone was like, oh my God, this is like real-time watching like some Einstein discovery, right? Like this level of uh, importance to physics and the future of humanity. And it was super positive. Like I saw almost, I mean, you saw negative corners, and it typically it was actually from the mainstream media. Like, oh, we have to be way more skeptical about this. And yeah, sure, I get that's your job, but let us suss it out and... uh and yeah, I thought that was super exciting. I thought, uh, I don't know how much you guys saw of the real-time memeing. Did you guys see a lot of that stuff? A little bit, yeah. I saw it, yeah. I know. And Did even you see some just... of the recreations? Like, people were like, hey, I tried to recreate the metal. Yeah, yeah, and, people like, doing it at home recreate the material. Yeah, there were like... people live-streaming as well, which I thought was kind of cool. But, uh, but just to clarify, though, again, without me fully understanding it, um, the conclusion right now is that it hasn't been reproduced. It's, though, not, right? super it's, not, it's not actually a superconductor yeah. material. And so... so it was a cool like hype thing for a week, but nothing's coming out of it at the moment in terms of actually a revolutionary thing. I think which was the likely scenario. Bit, yeah, because yeah. It, it was a, a total really game big changer. Change. Yeah. I think maybe what it does is the interest in this material sciences. Yeah. Is like like I, I fucking had no idea what this was a week ago. And now like, oh, 
superconductivity, like this many people are excited about it and there's like a 1% chance it might happen, that sounds pretty valuable. Maybe we should put some resources be behind finding this. Although apparently on this uh, science, uh, the publication website that I mentioned, RCIV, there's like a superconductivity paper like once a quarter. It's like people are constantly claiming That's it. That's kind of what it felt like from myself without knowing anything about it. It's just, it sounds like an amazing new thing and understandably everyone's excited, but it's kind of like until it is actually a real thing or close to a real thing, that it's not really news yet. I don't know. I, I feel it was kind of a lot of jumping the gun to a certain extent, but again, I know very little about it. So maybe I, I just didn't spend enough time learning about it. Uh, but yeah, thanks for that summary, Trung. That was worth chatting about well, let me ask Jack. Did we get Jack's thing? Did you see any hype, Jack? What were your thoughts on it? How did it compare to crypto Twitter? <laughs> Man, it was cool. It was cool to see people um, like extrapolate out all the implications in real time. And the guy I follow, was it Founders Fund? The yeah, the, yeah, uh, the Delian uh, who Delian. does uh, Marvin Space. So they, uh, a couple, uh, uh, a couple scientists at uh, uh, Varda created the materials and they posted it very cool right they're like that was exciting to watch like the the varda team and like uh john coogan who has a great youtube channel he i think he actually's uh uh entrepreneur residence at founders fund he made a cool video about driving down to varda uh which does a, a it's a space startup uh, they do something very interesting they're manufacturing uh, pharmaceuticals in space so um driving down seeing what the materials are making is uh, I saw yesterday that they sent the materials to an actual uh, lab. They also, it also sounds like from them that maybe this isn't a superconductor, but like going through the whole thing, building hype. Like, I think that's the takeaway here is like, let's get excited about that shit, right? Like that, that, that's, that, that's a good point. It's like, it was good just to see people positive about one thing and not just, it wasn't straight away. Everyone's arguing oh, like, no, this is negative, evil. Right? Yeah. It wasn't like a left and right divide. It was like, oh, that's actually kind of a cool thing either way. So I think that was definitely a positive either way. Okay, something came out of it. Um, all right, boys, should we, we got a couple more questions to rattle off if that's cool. Let's get going on. Uh, Joseph asks uh, about negative aspects of AI. What do you guys think about the negative aspects of AI, the massive creation of fake information, and how important would it would be the trust in the internet? How important would be the trust in the internet? Uh, yeah, so uh, any thoughts on that? Because uh, I guess by this point, we're... We're getting through the hype cycle of AI, right? Like we've had the the super hype part of it, and now I think things have settled down a little little bit. We're still probably in the hype part, but um, we you know obviously over more time we're going to start to see some of the negative things. Like we're going to see even like the deep fakes we've seen for a while, but these. I think will we become... talked about this, right? We've covered the the deep fake music, the deep fake visuals, and I think the thing I would tease and test this part specifically is like, I'm going to take text as an example. There's been the ability to create fake text since the moment the internet hit. There's oh, been the yeah. ability to create fake text since the printing press, right? People have been faking text since day one. And I'll tell you what, I can t actually tell when I, uh, I've been noticing quite vividly when something's AI generated. Like, I just know. I, I was searching for a bunch of characters in the uh, Oppenheimer film, and I saw there's a Medium publisher. He just launched his account in July, and it's very clear that he was smart. It was SEO hacking. He was taking some of the main characters in uh, Oppenheimer, like General Leslie Groves, uh, like some of the people that are prosecuting Oppenheimer, and like basically writing profiles about them, knowing that people were going to search, hey, who's this Leslie Groves character from 
Oppenheimer, right? But I can almost tell, I, I, I downloaded a couple of articles, I immediately looked at them like, oh, this is 100% AI generated. You can already kind of tell. And the larger takeaway I'm having is that uh, I want to make is that I actually think, to answer the question specifically, is that I think our bullshit radar is going to be quite attuned to like, I think we should have more skepticism in general. And, uh, and, and I expect knowing how much fake content there's going to be or AI-generated content there's going to be, that the default is just going to be, yeah, I'm skeptical. Like, I'm, it's like, this is what community notes, like, actually, another part of X, that's amazing, community notes stuff, right? It's fucking amazing. And um, I would say that, yeah, it's coming, but oh, we'll cover this in previous episodes. I suspect the default radar will be, oh, this is BS, which is probably a positive thing. Yeah. Jack, anything else from you, mate? Just leave it on that. Very articulately said, Trump. Yeah, I think you summarized that. that really nice, mate. All right, we can switch it up for a few more questions, some more personal stuff. Let me see if there was anything here. Um, this was from, there's two quick ones for me. Laurie asked, need someone to ask Bilal if 10 minutes of stoppage time is excessive. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw this, but this is from the World Cup. Do, do, well, you might have seen. Do you remember watching the World Cup and then there were like 10 minutes added on at the end of games that started happening in the Premier League because the Premier League starts next week and the Community Shield happened this weekend. Arsenal won against Man City and it was 10 minutes. Arsenal scored in the last minute. So that is, uh, I do think that's going to be around for a while now. It, and the, the interesting thing, I know this is kind of a joke question, but uh, if anyone who is a football fan, you don't realize that in a 90 minute game, about 55 to 60 minutes are actually in play. So if the average time is actually way lower, you don't actually play the full 90 minutes mm -hmm. ever because people are wasting time. They're kicking the ball out. They're doing stupid stuff. So that's why you're seeing these 10 minutes. So that's the quick and answer to that. What are stoppage time best practices? So well, that, what makes it, you happy and what, what, what is in your opinion is reasonable? I think they should be, I mean, the, the two approaches to this would be a stop clock style thing like you have in basketball. Like the ball goes out and you stop the clock and you okay. keep going. And that's on the stream too, right? That's you on the, the stream. The Everyone can see it. it. Yeah. yeah. But the problem with that is that's, there's a difference between someone like time-wasting in the game. There's a little bit more nuance to, to it. And, and the, you have a shot clock in basketball, right? So you have to shoot by a certain time. In football, you don't have that. So someone could be time-wasting in other ways. Let's and bring it no in, Bring Let's it bring in. 20 clock. seconds. you got to shoot every 20 <laughs> seconds. Can you imagine that? Um, but I think the different. I think they just they haven't really been following the rules essentially. Like the reason it changed is the interpretation just changed. So like for the World Cup, they all the referees got together and said, "Wait a minute, why why do we not actually add in these in these circumstances? We should be adding that on." And so yeah, that's kind of what's happening now. It's just a big change for a billion people watching football. Like what the hell? Why has it gone it to just, the hundredth minute? And it the, seems and really the, weird. That's quite common now. You're saying. Well, it's gonna become common. with probably will because this was the first game of the season. Well, what's the what? What are the examples of things they're counting that they weren't before? Well, like I think when the ball goes out for a goal kick and the goalkeeper's moving the ball from left to right and they're oh, standing right. there for like thirty seconds, <laughs> well, they're running stuff all like around. that. You got the yeah, ball, yeah. like put it they're one like, spot. Oh, my leg's gone. Let me start again. Like oh, and then someone falls over and pretends to be injured. That's uh, another like, ad break too, isn't it? Exactly. Revenue exactly. generating activities. Revenue gener well, if they start adding ads in a game, that'll be the end of it, man. <laughs> that'll be bad. But uh, anyway, so that was my quick answer to that joke question. Another question from VM was asking about how my, he said, how's Bilal's diet going? I would rephrase that to more of a Bilal's health focus going because it's not really 
or diet necessarily. Well, let, me say, even... let me let me answer this. I saw Bilal. Yeah, we could... <laughs> I've met Bilal twice. I met him in July. Oh, yeah, that was a big change. Yeah. And I met him in June 2023. Nine day. Yeah, you must have dropped 30, 40 pounds between. You look great. Thanks, Both man. Like, appreciate you look it. great, brother. That's, that's, that's it, my take Yeah, so the, the summary is, and appreciate that, Trunk. Yeah, I actually, I'll share it because a few people asked. I lost about 40 pounds, which is quite a lot. It's Yay! like 20 kgs or something. I've still got a lot to do. It's not necessarily about the weight. Now it's more about getting stronger, losing body fat, building muscle. He wants the Delta. He wants the traps, people. He's doing... Yeah, I'm a long way from that. I'm a long way from that. But yeah, yeah. So that's still... I'm still... And I guess the reason I said I'm almost averse to using the phrase someone's diet because it's, to me, like that's one part of many things. And obviously, maybe it's the most important part, how you eat. But yeah, to me, the difference is in the past when I've got a bit healthier for a while, things would go back to normal and then you would go back to how you were. So that's that's why I don't even use that phrase necessarily. It's more about this is a long-term focus to continuously get better and to do things that I enjoy doing con continues forever, basically. And also that even when with the food, it is really about finding stuff. Like I'm not going to cut out bread and rice forever, right? Or pasta or whatever you're going to do if you're doing keto or carnivore. So like, I'm still going to eat that stuff, but I'm going to just be a bit more aware of it, make sure I'm not overeating, all the kind of stuff we all know to do. It's not rocket science. So yeah, that is a big focus. The other thing, focus for me has been, uh, uh, I don't know if I shared this, but I have basically a meniscus tear in my knee for like a year. So since this whole time that I've been doing this crazy stuff, um, I've been having to navigate that. So what that means is I can't do certain things like in the gym, I can't do deadlift properly. I can't do squats. Like some of the big things that you would normally do, I've just had to find alternatives and I'm Body now weights, doing... Body weights, buddy, just... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, and there's actually, if anyone ever has any knee issues, which is a lot of people, there's a guy called Knees Over Toes Guy. Uh, sounds like a fraud, but he's actually incredible. Uh, just check out his stuff on YouTube and Instagram. And um, he's, he's like got a lot of exercises, stretches and stuff people can do. So that's been helping me a lot. And so, yeah, I've just been doing the same stuff. I've probably been the most active I've ever been in my adult life, like every month. I, I look at my step count, my like time in the gym, the times I go consistently, the times I lift weights, all those things. I track everything pretty much and it's, it's the best it's ever been. So that's kind of how I measure it right now. Um, and then, yeah, but I've also been kind of stagnant. Like for the last few months, I've been kind of at plateau, but I'm just doing the things that I know are good for me. So that's kind of the focus right now. Yeah, so unless you guys have any specific questions, that's kind of the summary uh, on that side. I'm loving these oh. Bilal-specific cues. Good Bob stuff, man. There we go. Cheers, mate. Um, so another question we had here, I think this might be the last question we had. Oh, no, two more questions. Um, okay, mentoring from Parin. He said, what kind of mentoring or coaching do you guys get? Um if any, to help you keep growing and developing as creators and builders? Zero. I've talked, we've talked about this before, yeah. actually. Uh, I don't do any. I know some people that benefit quite a bit from it. Uh, I, I think do we zero. spoke specifically about masterminds was the phrase I remember yeah, someone asking. I think asking. it's a similar thing. Is like, yeah. uh, I would be honest, like, I would probably benefit from a, a coach uh, to have an objective third party, but uh, uh, I like my life the way it is, and uh, I don't want <laughs> I don't want Trump to add doesn't that like meetings as well. That's yeah. a thing to I, know about I can't about be Trump. having that scheduled time. I also don't have a team to manage, but um, I'd love you guys to start on. Yeah, fair. What about you, Jack? Done it a few times back in the day, three or four years ago, but I'm in the same boat as Trung now where I'm like, uh, I've 
curated a group of peers that hopefully yeah. tell me when I'm talking out my ass. That's the uh, that's the the key, I think. Yeah, Get friends that, um, yeah, are experienced where you aren't, or a little bit ahead of you, or even you know can just look from the outside in and and uh, give you an objective opinion on something. Uh, Celia has been massive for me in that regard too, because not you know not spending 10 hours a day on Twitter and like getting your just evaluating things from a completely outside perspective. A lot of the time, I think there, there is a time in your life where you're trying to maybe learn something that you have never been in in an environment where you're going to learn that, that a certain type of person can help you get there or a certain type consuming somebody's thoughts. Even like I consider myself, to have been mentored by a lot of people that I've never met just through the stuff that they mm, put yeah. out on the internet. Um, but early on, the couple of groups that I joined were really just like, man, it just, it kind of teaches you that you have to fucking figure it out yourself. You know, most of this stuff is like, it's uh, like finding a mechanism that you can rely upon that's going to basically tell you to pull your finger out your ass and just, just, you know, just figure it out. Like yeah. all of the, like the most, that's the cliche, right? The cliche of all this stuff is the most profound stuff is somebody just telling you like, just try again, bro. Like that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do it yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Jack, can I rephrase the question? So let's say a 21 year old Jack or what, however old you were when you moved to New York. And you're you're trying to get your foot in the door in creative field. You're trying to be a designer. You're trying to work at agency, whatever it was. And maybe trying you have an equivalent frame of like uh, your start of your career, essentially. Because I would say all of us now yeah. are like, you know, 10, 15, however many years into our careers. And we've got a network already. We know lots of people. You And so I think it is a little bit different once you have learned some stuff versus when you're yeah, just yeah, really yeah. coming totally out of school, you don't actually know much. Different yeah. question. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. I'll answer with, uh, so somebody I probably learned the most on a topic from was my friend Vincent, who I've spoken before about. He helped me write the film script that I sold and worked on other future projects that have yet to be made, but, you know, interesting part of my life is um, I learned a ton from him, but it wasn't like a formal mentor relationship. It was like, yeah. I like, I'm like, I can do, you know, you have stuff that need done. I'm going to work on that. And in exchange, I'm just going to soak up your knowledge. I want to learn from you, right? He's like, well, isn't like, hey, let's meet every Thursday. And uh, I think not to that, answer that- that structured necessarily. Well, actually, if you, to make it more tactical, like if this, if, if this is a more actionable type question, is like, here's the reality. is like, can you do, do something that an individual wants done off of their plate? It's like very clear this individual is super busy. Uh, can you do something- that you know that's valuable to them and that and, and repeatedly do it. It's like a permissionless apprentice, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like Jack's whole thing. Sometimes those turn into real relationships and uh, and those relationships is kind of the equivalent of the mentorship thing. So yeah, me at 38 is like uh, with, a, with a child is like, don't get me bothered. It may be to my detriment, but in your early 20s, no question. It's like mm-hmm. uh, there are people that will be able to help you along the path. It doesn't have to be a formal relationship uh, but the number one thing to do is like, don't ask, hey, can I be your mentor? What you ask is, hey, I know you need X, Y, Z done, but I've already, look, I, I, I curated all, every podcast you've ever made, or I curated all this writing you've done, and uh, or I know that who are 30 potential leads for your business. Here, here's all that's just taking. 
Yeah, great point. Jack, anything to add on that one, mate? Uh, yeah, my first boss in New York was massively helpful and influential. One of the reasons I actually went on the, I was on Infinite Loops the other day, Trung was a friend of the pod. For Jim? Jimmy. And uh, we talked about this idea of macro empathy. So finding somebody who will tell you that your work isn't good enough. Like most people don't want to say that to you. Like the, yeah. the, especially in bigger and bigger environments. One of the things that complete, this is total luck. I worked for a guy that was starting his own business, right? So me not doing my work is directly impacting his ability to feed himself, to look after his family, to like, we're up against it. Like if you don't win work in the next few months, this business shutters and you have to go back to your corporate America job that you hated so much, you took this risk to get out of it, right? And I'm doing this all retroactively. I didn't think about this at the time. I was like, oh my God, this guy's giving me a job. But what really, like, if you really think about, I'm saying, he obviously cared about me getting better, but my success was also intrinsically linked to him. So by telling me this isn't good enough, you need to do a better job, it wasn't, not to say that this wasn't, he wasn't being a nice guy. It's like you have to think about going and working in a place where somebody is actually disincentivized to tell you the truth, which I found in a lot of my corporate work environments, the bigger places at least, where it's like, you can't just tell somebody that like, this isn't good enough, go and do it again. But in some cases that that is really the case. It's like, this is like, you just haven't put any effort into this, go back and do it again. And I had one specific moment in my uh, early career where I had this like, presenting some work or something, I had this internal meeting set up with my boss and I bring it over and I'm walking over to the table. I'm like, oh, it's not really good enough or there yet. Or blah. And he's like, just stop there, stop. Why the fuck are you showing it to me if it's not good enough? Like, if you already know it's not good enough, why are you wasting my time that's, showing that's it to me? That's a baller story. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're right. Like, why am I doing that? And why am I saying this? Like, I should have just said, hey, it's not ready. Like, yeah. if, if I'd have, it, this was like some informal thing that I'd set up to get feedback. And then I roll up and say, it's not good enough. And it's not to say like, be awful to someone to try and inspire them to be better. It's like, call someone out on the fact that they already know it isn't good enough. Like if you, if I'd walked up and be like, Hey, I've taken this as far as I can. I don't know what to do now. That's a very different way of walking up to that encounter than, Hey, I know this is, I know this is not where it needs to be yet. And man, that, that ran like at the time didn't have this profound impact on me but obviously every time after that point i wouldn't walk up to the table and say that and i wouldn't show up with work that i didn't think i'd taken as far as i could take it so um that's not really practical advice but one of the things you learn in an environment that doesn't have the like corporate cushion involved is like hey if you don't do your job i'm fucked too so i'm going to try and help you like that's a that's like the thing that people talk about the trade-off between the nice cushy job and the salary and the like horrendous work environment of a startup where you might be two months away from losing your job. If you're in the right environment, 
or the right, you know, inverted commas here, what you what you learn in being that close to failure, you can extract a much more value from over the course of your career after the fact, even if you end up in a corporate environment after that, which I did, was like, where did this guy come from? Why is he doing so much work? Because it's like, I'm, there's like three of us in the last job and I had two or three people's work to do. And then you get in this environment where people are like, oh, we're going to stay at the Ritz-Carlton for five nights to do one presentation. I was like, wow, this is sick. I'm going to do all my work and get to do that as well. Um, very different. So yeah, like, like anything, man, the experience and the quality of your work comes from being uncomfortable as hell. That's yeah. That's uh, work. Some alpha right here. There you go. I'll just add a couple of things as well. So I think it was good we reframed the question a little bit based on where we are today versus past. So I'll say similar to what Jack said earlier, like I've always seen like the word mentors and coaches, not as these official people. Like I asked someone to be a mentor, therefore, though I have actually had that as well, like early in my career. But over time, I realized that that was quite limiting. Like you, there's only a certain number of people who are even open to doing that because the people who are generally worthy in air quotes or that actually going to be helpful normally don't have the time to be your official mentor where you're meeting every week or whatever, right? So that's the first thing. There's also two types, like you said, there's the the people in real life, in your workplace, in your industry, which I'll come on to in a second. And then there's the the virtual ones, like the ones that are in your ears in the podcast, like you're listening to right now, or you're listening to Naval on a podcast and you learn all that shit that help you build visualized value or whatever, the people you read. So that to me is as valuable as anyone, because the things you're trying to learn from a mentor, if you take a step back and say, why do you want a mentor? Like a lot of people want a mentor because it is the a structured way of them feeling like they're progressing and they're Accountability learning Accountability is it for Account- a lot of people. That's, yeah. that's a good point as well, yeah. But a lot of it is like just, oh, weird. I don't know what to do, so I need someone to give me some answers. And a lot of the time it is on you just to go and find some of those answers yourself. And then like you said, the accountability is, is the biggest part. Like someone who's actually there holding you accountable, putting the mirror up to you and saying, yo, this is shit work. Like you can do better than this. Or did you think about it in this way? That's really important. And so if I look back at my career, the ones, the people who have been both the best mentors and even coaches, I've had an actual official like paid um, executive coach in my old job. And that was actually really surprisingly helpful. I'll, I'll share a little bit on that in a second. But the best ones were literally just managers like my, the leaders of the team. And so there have been plenty of times where most of the leaders in the team were kind of shit. Uh, like I've had plenty of managers I didn't really respect or I didn't like gain, learn that much from, but there were a couple, which I look back, like one guy, Tony Nealon, who uh, eventually went to Twitter and now he's like head of like Indeed, like, VP, like head of sales or something at Indeed randomly, but he's the best manager I've ever had. And so me joining his team, I'd heard from other people, he's like the best leader in the team. And so the reason I joined that was partly for that. It was like, oh, I want to be mentored in air quotes by someone who's 10, 15 years ahead of me, who's um, two, three job levels above me and has learned stuff that I can learn from. And just by being in that circle, I'm going to be directly reporting to him. I'm going to learn from that. So to me, like mentors, a lot of the time are like the more structured ones are literally in your jobs and stuff like that. Um, And so I would spend a lot of time thinking about who those people are and what you actually want to learn from them. The other example I'll give is Scott Harrison from Charity War. Like one of the main reasons I joined there was to work with him because I was so um, 
I was so like impressed by him and uh, kind of like blown away by him. I was like, if I'm just around him in a in a setting, sorry, Jack, you got to leave. No stress, go for it, mate. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'll just finish this last point and we can bounce. But yeah, with with him, it was, all right, this guy's done all these things. I could see his kind of like life history and the sort of person he'd become and the work he'd done with Chaibor. And I was like, oh, just by me being around this person, I'm going to learn a bunch of shit. But specifically, it was on leadership, leading the team, creative stuff, storytelling, and like pitching basically, because he was like a master at all of those things. So just by like identifying those people, you, it, that is where you can get like actually useful people. Because if you just reach out to him and say, hey, can you be my mentor? He gets asked that a thousand times in a year, right? That's not going to work. So that's where it comes to like standing out, the permissionless apprentice stuff. Like me starting the podcast, doing an interview with him is how I go in front of him, go do a good job, and you can then get in that circle and you can gain the benefits. Another person I shout out, Rafa, our editor, right? He's editing this right now. Rafa got this job by literally posting clips. Like he didn't even ask. He just started- Banging the clips. But yeah, banging clips. He took it from YouTube. We already had an editor. He started banging them out and he just DM'd us and said, hey, I'm just going to keep doing this. If they're helpful, post them, maybe shout me out. That'd be great but uh, I'm just going to keep doing this. And eventually now he's our full-time editor and he does a great job. He's even doing Creator Lab for me now as well. So that is a good example of someone finding, like just creating stuff, putting it out there. And uh, hopefully he's going to be able to gain by working with us three. We're in a group chat with him. He can ask us any question. He has a direct access to all three of us now. So uh, that's the only thing I'd say. I, my, my assumption is your question was more about as a creator, you said, and as a builder, which is a different story to a job. So that is a bit different. That's where I think you do need to find a peer group, like Jack said earlier. Like, uh, I, I think like if you're starting a company, you want to go find other people starting companies. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna help. Uh, you're gonna gain a lot from people like that. So that is pretty much it. Uh, maybe I'll save the the coaching part another time. But I will say that was something I wasn't 100% sure about, and I was able to do like six sessions through the workplace, and that guy literally changed my life. Like he. He, okay, I, it sounds, so it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, he was incredible. And it was literally what he did was made me aware of stuff that was nothing to do with work. Actually made me eventually leave the company, which was kind of funny. Um, but a lot of it, honestly, was personal stuff. And it was like stuff with my relationship with my family. Because what he, what he made me realize was your blocks in your work life normally are personal stuff. A lot of the time, like they're things you haven't dealt with and you're kind of sitting on so for me he that held was... up a mirror to you before your google interview and helped you yeah, put the yeah with the tie he's like take that tie off son but anyway so i will say it is good if you can find someone like that that is really helpful but like you know you kind of pay you get what you pay for as well because that guy probably i probably couldn't afford him now or paying for my, totally. myself um all right man i think that was great anything else trying before we no that was meaty up, man that was great appreciate everyone submitting those questions Jack had to bounce three minutes ago because we, we were going on for a while, but that was a really good episode. Appreciate your help supporting us and spreading the word. And we'll see you guys next week. Cheers.